0: Section 69 of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fana Jahangiri. The World Story, Volume 2. India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. Edited by Eva March Tappon. Section 69. The building of the bridge of Toulouse. Ferdusi lived about 935 to 1020 AD. By Elizabeth A. Reid. While Shah Mahmud was ruler of Persia, the idea occurred to him that it would be an excellent thing to have the history of his country put into verse. He tested the ability of various literary folk among his subjects, and at length decided that the poet Ferdusi should be favored with the commission. Ferdowsi's poem is known as the Shah Naameh, or Book of Kings, the editor. This celebrated poet, Ferdowsi, whose true name was Abul Qasim, was a native of Tus, a city of Khorasas, and many happy hours of his boyhood were spent on the banks of the beautiful river that swept along its course near his home. But the rebellious waters occasionally flooded their banks, leaving ruin in their paths, and the dream of the young poet's life was the hope that someday he might command the means to build a suitable bridge over this turbulent stream and also to confine its rising waters within banks of solid masonry. When therefore he received the royal commission to write the long Persian poem, he felt that, This great public improvement was within his reach, and he gladly undertook the task. After several samples of his poem had been presented to the Shah, the prime minister was ordered to pay the poet a thousand drachms of gold for every thousand couplets which he produced until the work was completed. A magnificent residence was erected for Ferdowsi near the palace of the king and the best painters of the age were employed to cover the walls with the portraits of the kings and heroes, with paintings of battles and sieges, with the most imposing military scenes and everything that could excite the martial valor and fire the imagination of the writer. The only member of the court with whom the poet was not upon friendly terms was the conceited prime minister who expected and generally received almost as much adulation from the court poets as the king himself, Ferdossi refused to render him this servile homage, and not only so but finally ignored him to such an extent that he would not go to his house to receive the payment of gold coin which became due upon the completion of each thousand couplets. The only reason he gave for this was that he preferred to receive the whole amount at once and thereby be enabled to carry out his favorite project and build a bridge in his native city. All of these little exhibitions of animosity on the part of the poet combined to make him offensive to the vizier and gave opportunities to other envious courtiers to cultivate the favor of the prime minister by flatteries of himself and curses upon the head of Ferdowsi. At the end of 30 years of hard work, the Shah Naame was completed consisting of 60,000 couplets. The vizier then revenged himself upon the poet by misrepresenting the condition of the treasury to the king and urging upon him the absurdity of paying such an enormous price for a poem. He finally induced him to send to the poet 60,000 drachmas of silver instead of the gold which he had promised. Ferdowsi was coming out of his baths when the bags of silver arrived from the treasury, and learning the value of their contents, he contemptuously gave them away, giving recklessly and without judgment until the sum was exhausted. This insult to the Shah was duly reported and exaggerated by the Prime Minister, and while the monarch was furious with rage, the poet, at the suggestion of the vizier, was condemned to be trampled to death by elephants. His apartment, however, being close to the royal residence, he took advantage of that fact and threw himself at the king's feet, suing for pardon, and this was granted him upon the condition of his immediate departure from the city. Sick at heart and burning with indignation, he sought the apartment of the king's favorite attendant, Ayaz, who had always been a faithful friend to the bard. To him, Ferdowsi related his story and from him received the fullest sympathy. Here, he wrote a bitter poetic invective against the Shah, and having sealed it up, bequested Ayaz to deliver it to him after the post-departure, and also to choose the time for doing so when some defeat had rendered the Shah more low-spirited than usual. This was in part. In Mahmud Shah, we hope to find one virtue to redeem his mind, and mine no generous transports fail, To truth to face the justice shield, son of a slave, his diadem in vain may glow with many a gem. Exalted high in power and place, outbursts the meanness of his race. O Mahmud, though thou fear'st me not, Heaven's vengeance will not be forgot. Shrink, tyrant, from my words of fire, And trample at the poet's ire. The indignant and unfortunate bard escaped from Gizni by night on foot and alone for his friends dared not incur the enmity of the king by rendering him any assistance. Ayaz alone had the generous courage to brave the Shah's displeasure by aiding the refugee. He sent a trusty slave after him who soon overtook him and giving him a horse and a sum of money and other little comforts for his journey, he sought him in the name of Ayaz to hasten out of the territory of Shah Mahmud if he valued his life. In the meantime, reports of the vizier's animosity and of the sultan's cowardice were spread all over the country, exciting universal detestation of the king and his minister. The accounts of the poet's misfortunes and the king's injustice reached Mu'teshem, the prince of Kuhistan. About the time the fugitive approached the seat of government, this prince was the dear friend of Shah Mahmud, and. Bound to him by ties of gratitude for countless favors, but he hesitated not to show his respect for genius, and he sent a deputation of learned and distinguished men to meet Ferdossi and invite him to the royal presence. In the midst of this flattering and honorable reception, Montesquieu learned that the offended poet. Intended to publish a satirical work holding up to the detestation of the world the treachery of Mahmud And he endeavored to dissuade him from this act of revenge Which he considered unworthy of the greatest literary genius of the age. The poet afterwards sent him a hundred indignant couplets That the prince might destroy them himself Perdosius stated in letters sent with the lines that although he dreaded not the anger of Mahmoud still out of grateful friendship for the generous Mohtashem, he gave up the cutting rebuke. The closing paragraph states that, On thy account, most amiable prince, do I now consent to transfer my just revenge from this vain world to a higher court? Mohtashem presented Ferdosi with a goodly sum of money and forwarded him on his journey, fearful lest the sultan's rage or the vizier's malice might overtake and ruin him. This proved to be a wise precaution, for the king had discovered the sarcastic epigram, which Ferdosi had written on the wall of the great mosque the night of his departure, and on the next day Ayaz delivered to the furious monarch the insulting letter which the poet had left with him for that purpose, and a large reward was offered for the apprehension of the fugitive. At length, however, the sultan received a long letter from his friend Motashim, who related his meeting with Ferdosi, now in his old age, a penniless wanderer, after having devoted the best years of his life in the constant exercise of his great talents for the execution of his king's wishes, and gently reproached the Shah for allowing himself to be imposed upon by the evil advice of malicious courtiers. He also informed him of the forgiving spirit the poet had manifested in destroying his own brilliant satire, which was composed at the monarch's expense, and closed the letter by quoting the couplet which Ferdowsi had used in the letter to himself. The complaints from his subjects also began to come to the royal ears, and all of this, together with the reproaches of his own conscience, produced in his mind a strange combination of grief and rage, of indignation and regret. He disgraced the malicious vizier and fined him 60,000 drachmas of gold the same amount which he had prevented him from paying to Ferdowsi and deeply regretted his own injustice to the gifted bard. But still he could not forgive the cutting satire of the letter which had taunted him with his low birth as being one of the causes of his cowardice and meanness. Ferdowsi was protected by the Arabian government and after some years returned and lived with his family at Tus. But he was old, grieved, and broken down, and at last he died in his quiet home at the age of 83. In the meantime, Shah Mahmud, hearing of his return to Tus and anxious to render justice, though tardily, to the man he had wronged, sent an envoy with 60,000 drachmas of gold, together with quantities of silks, brocades, velvets, and other costly presents to Ferdowsi at a peace offering. But as the royal train of loaded camels entered one gate of the city, a mournful procession went out of another and followed the dead poet to the place of his burial. The Shah's ambassadors offered the present intended for Ferdowsi to his only daughter, but she possessed her father's spirit and haughtily dismissed the courtiers, rejecting their gifts with proud disdain. The Shah, wishing to make some offering to the Memory of the departed poet ordered the sum which had been intended for him to be expended in erecting a caravansary and bridge in Tools in accordance with Ferdusi's lifelong ambition. These monuments of the poet's fame and of the king's tardy justice existed for many years until destroyed by an invading army. End of section sixty nine This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Fanda Jahangiri.